bringing you the latest in tax credit news. This is Tax Credit Tuesday with your host, Michael Novogratik. Hello, I'm Michael Novogratik, and this is Tax Credit Tuesday. Today is Tuesday, August 28, 2018. Yesterday marked the 17th anniversary of the opening of Novogratik & Company's first Ohio office. My partner, Dan Smith, was in our Atlanta office, and he moved and opened the Ohio office in order for us to serve clients in the Great Lakes and Midwest regions. The Ohio location was the sixth Novogratik office at the time. Today, Novogratik has nearly 30 offices across the country, and we now have three offices in Ohio alone, in Cleveland, Columbus, and Dover. And, as you may have heard, Novogratik was named a Best of the Best Firm by Inside Public Accounting for the 15th time. We're honored by this recognition. I'd like to thank all the employees at Novogratik for making it possible, and we look forward to continuing to serve our clients. Now, with that brief trip down memory lane, let's move on to this week's podcast. We have a lot of exciting new developments to share with you this week, particularly on the legislative and IRS guidance front. Now, we're going to start with bills recently introduced in Congress. One bill would create a middle-income housing tax credit, and the other would create a renter's tax credit. Then, on the tax law guidance front, the IRS recently released proposed guidance on the Section 199 Cap A deduction. That's a 20% deduction that's available to individuals with trader business income. After that, I'm going to share some other headlines that include efforts to overhaul the Community Reinvestment Act, as well as an interim rule by banking regulators that could result in lower interest rates on housing bond debt, as well as a new report on the importance of the Renewable Energy Production Tax Credit for expanding and growing wind power capacity. So, if you're ready, let's get started. In affordable housing news, last week, Senator Ron Wyden, Democrat of Oregon, introduced a bill to create a middle-income housing tax credit. Cleverly, it's named the Middle Income Housing Tax Credit Act of 2018. Now, the credit is designed to mirror the Low Income Housing Tax Credit. Under the bill, each state would generally receive $1 in tax credits for every person in the state, with a minimum allocation amount of $1.14 million per state. For rural areas, the per capita allocation would be $1.05. Now, as a point of reference, the low-income housing tax credit per capita amount is $2.70, thanks in part to the 12.5% increase that Senator Maria Cantwell of Washington took the lead on. Now, the middle-income housing tax credit would be allocated by state agencies in a competition among developers, once again, similar to the low-income housing tax credit. The credit rate, well, the credit rate would be determined in a manner designed to have a present value of 50% of qualifying costs. However, the credit rate would never be less than 5%, essentially a 5% floor on the credit percentage. Now, to qualify for the credit, at least 60% of the units and rental property would need to be leased to families with incomes at or below 100% of the area median gross income. And any unused middle-income housing tax credit allocation from a particular calendar year could be carried over to the state's low-income housing tax credit ceiling for the following year after which, if it still wasn't used, it would go to the national pool. Now, the principal goal of the Middle Income Housing Tax Credit, or what's referred to as MITEC, is to serve families in need of affordable housing who do not qualify 
for low-income tax credit finance homes. That would be families earning more than the allowable income levels of low-income tax credit properties, generally 50% or 60% of area median income, difference between that and 100% area median income level. Kind of that band between 50 or 60% area median income and 100% area median income. I want to emphasize, though, that the program is designed to be complementary, not competitive with, the low-income housing tax credit. Now, to emphasize this, the legislation itself includes language that mirrors the low-income housing tax credit and praises the low-income housing tax credit. The language notes that the low-income housing tax credit has been remarkably successful. Now, as you may know, Senator Wyden is the ranking member of the Tax Writing Senate Finance Committee. And should the Democrats take control of the Senate in the fall, he would almost most certainly become the chairman of the Senate Finance Committee, giving extra weight to bills that he introduces. You may also know that Senator Wyden is a longtime supporter of the low-income housing tax credit, as well as he did introduce a similar MyTech bill in 2016. Now, Senator Wyden is also an original co-sponsor of a current bill that would expand and enhance the low-income housing tax credit. And you know what that bill is. It's the Affordable Housing Credit Improvement Act of 2017. That's legislation spearheaded by Senator Wyden's colleagues on the Senate Finance Committee, Committee Chairman Orrin Hatch and Senator Maria Cantwell. You can find the text of Senator Wyden's bill and a fact sheet provided by Senator Wyden's office in today's show notes. Also, I'll tweet out a link to the bill and our brief summary of the bill. Now, Senator Wyden's middle-income housing tax credit bill is a supply-side effort to address the shortage of affordable rental housing. Now, on the demand side, we have the Rent Relief Act of 2018. That bill was recently introduced in the House by Representative Scott Peters of San Diego, California, and it would create a refundable renter's tax credit, basically a demand-side solution to affordable rental housing issues. Now, the credit would be available to taxpayers who spend more than 30% of their gross income on rent and utilities. For taxpayers with gross incomes at or below $25,000, the refundable tax credit would equal 100% of the amount they pay in rent utilities that exceeds 30% of their gross income. Every dollar in excess of 30% of their gross income, they would get back as a refundable tax credit. Now, this rent refundability percentage does decline as a renter's income rises. Taxpayers with incomes over $100,000 would not be eligible for a credit. Less than $25,000 or at or below $25,000, 100%, over $100,000, no credit, and a variable credit percentage in 20% increments if you have incomes in between. Now, households living in government subsidized rental housing, they also would be eligible for a credit. If they pay more than 30% of their income on rent utilities, they'd be able to claim one month's rent as a refundable tax credit, basically one-twelfth of their annual rent paid. Now, there is a limit on the amount of rent that would be eligible for a tax credit. The bill only applies to amounts paid in rent up to 150% or one and a half times the fair market rent. Now, this bill is the House companion legislation to a Senate version that was introduced by Kamala Harris of California earlier this year. I'll tweet out a link to the bill today. Now, also, I'll talk more about the latest in affordable housing efforts in my Washington Report panel coming up at the Novogratic 2018 Credit and Bond Financing Affordable Housing Conference. That event isn't all that many weeks away. It's going to be held in New Orleans October 4th and 5th. 
Now I'll invite you to join us and I'll post registration link in today's show notes. And I'll tweet out a link to that as well. Next, I'd like to discuss a new tax deduction. Guess it's not all that new, it's the guidance that's new. That could benefit some of our listeners and clients. I'm talking about the Section 199 Cap A deduction. And it's not that new because it was created under last year's tax reform legislation and applies for the years 2018 through 2025. Now, this income tax deduction is for up to 20% of qualified business income that's generated by certain non-corporate taxpayers, generally individuals. So the big question is, what kind of income qualifies for the deduction? Now, qualified income that can qualify can come from sole proprietorships, S-corporations, partnerships, trusts and estates, dividends from investments in real estate investment trusts, qualified cooperatives, and income from publicly traded partnerships. What doesn't qualify? Well, the deduction doesn't apply to income earned by C-corporations. The deduction is only available for qualified trades or businesses, which means there are non-qualified trades or businesses. There are limitations. Now, the limit on qualified trader business income is further limited by the amount of wages or depreciable assets held by the business. More specifically, this is the accountant in me, the limit is the lesser of 20% of qualified business income, the general deduction, or the greater of 50% of wages paid in connection with those trades or businesses, or 25% of wages paid plus 2.5% of the unadjusted tax basis of depreciable business assets determined immediately after acquisition. So in essence, you get this 20% deduction or, but that 20% deduction, I should say, is limited to can't exceed 50% of wages paid or 25% of wages paid plus 2.5% of the basis in your assets. Now, there are other limitations as to types of trades or businesses that are eligible. Or said differently, specified service businesses are not eligible for the deduction. And this is an area that's getting lots of attention. For example, a specified service business includes law and accounting firms, healthcare providers, financial services, and brokerage services, and consulting firms. Now, there is a minor exception. Income from specified businesses can qualify for the deduction if the taxable income of the taxpayer is less than $157,500 or double that if they're filing a joint return, which means if you have two lawyers that are married and they're filing a joint return, then if their combined taxable income is less than $315,000, then they could qualify for the deduction. Now, what is this deduction about and why was it created? Well, one reason that, that this provision was created in the 2017 tax bill was to bring the individual income tax rate on trader business income closer to the lowered C-corporation rate. As you know, tax reform brought the top effective corporate tax rate down from 35% to 21%. This 199 cap A deduction gives individual taxpayers a chance to reduce their own income tax rate on trader business income. For example, the highest marginal tax rate for individuals was reduced in the tax bill from 39.6% down to 37%. The 199 cap A deduction could reduce the effectiveness of those income tax rate or the effective tax rate of 37% down to 29.6%. Now, as I mentioned, the tax deduction is for tax years 2018 
through 2025. That means taxpayers should review whether they qualify for the deduction for 2018. Now comes the purpose of talking about this now. The IRS has issued six proposed regulations so far, and those regulations include guidance on the definition of qualified business income, permissible ways to aggregate business activity, as well as reporting requirements by partnerships with individual owners. Now, that's a significantly high number of proposed regulations considering the tax law passed so recently, and the guidance is nearly 200 pages long. Now, these are proposed regulations. They're not yet finalized, but they're good indicators as to which direction the IRS is headed. So we at Novogratic are still digesting the proposed rules, as is the rest of the tax advising community, and we're also focused on how these rules, proposed rules, would affect our typical clients. A particular note is the definition of specified service business. Specified service businesses are generally ineligible for the 20% deduction, as noted above or earlier, and as such, our developer clients want to know if their fee income will be eligible for the deduction. Now, as with many provisions in the recently enacted tax law, the answer to this question is not clear. I ask that you look for additional guidance from Novograd in the coming weeks on this, as well as other tax issues. Now, if you can't wait, and in the interim, you can reach out to Novograd partner near you to discuss our current thinking on the matter. And if you don't know who that is, I'd encourage you to reach out to my partner, Tom Bowman, in our St. Louis office. You can also read more about the 199 Cap A deduction, as well as other tax reform provisions, in the 2018 Novogratic Tax Reform Resource Guide. This guide is available for sale on the Novogratic website, and if you're a Novogratic client already, it's free for you. Turning to other news, I have a brief update on the latest efforts to overhaul the Committee Reinvestment Act, or CRA. The Office of the Comptroller of the Currency, or OCC, is the regulator of national and commercial banks. Now, the OCC is expected to ask the public for input on CRA regulatory changes. That request is expected to come this week, maybe today, maybe already by the time this podcast publishes. Comptroller of the Currency, Joseph Odding, has been vocal about his intentions to overhaul CRA regulations, regulations that require banks to serve low- and moderate-income communities in which they operate. The OCC oversees the CRA in partnership with the Federal Reserve and the Federal Deposit Insurance Corporation, or FDIC. Now, the Wall Street Journal reports that Odding has tried to work with the other two banking regulators on updating how they implement CRA, but there's been trouble getting consensus. Thus, Odding is directing the OCC to move forward alone with its own plan. The first step of the plan is to structure a series of questions to stakeholders on Odding's priorities. An OCC spokesman said that the OCC hopes that the Federal Reserve and FDIC will eventually join a formal rule proposal. I'll keep you posted on the OCC's progress with a CRA plan in future podcasts, and I'll also tweet out once this advanced notice of proposed rulemaking is released. Now, one matter that the three bank regulating agencies have agreed on is an interim rule that they released last week that will likely increase bank appetite for productivity bonds. The Federal Reserve, FDIC, and OCC issued the interim rule in response to legislation that became law in May. The three agencies must 
now treat a municipal bond as a high-quality liquid asset if it is considered liquid and is also readily marketable and investment-grade. That allows banks to hold private activity bonds as high-quality liquid assets, which will increase the appetite for them. And if the appetite goes up for banks' demand for these bonds, that should lower interest rates on housing bond debt. And speaking of housing, an interesting affordable housing bill is on the desk of Governor Jerry Bowne in California. The bill would allow the creation of thousands of affordable homes at and around stations for Bay Area Rapid Transit, the mass transit system in the San Francisco Bay Area, commonly referred to as BART. That legislation would require BART Board of Directors to establish guidelines for transit-oriented developments for their land and require cities to update their zoning to be consistent with the guidelines. Now, it's expected that there would be, for instance, an effort to consolidate existing parking into structures and use some of the vast surface parking lots for affordable housing. Now, there's another California housing bill that was passed by the Assembly and is being considered by the Senate. That bill would allow the State Department of Housing and Community Development to adjust its interest rates on loans that are combined with federal long-term housing tax credits. That would help make affordable housing developments more feasible. Now, the state Senate meets through Friday, and any bill that passes must be signed or vetoed by the governor by the end of September. And if the governor doesn't act, then the legislation would become law. Wrapping up our other news section, the Department of Energy recently released a report on wind power and specific references that show the importance of the production tax credit. The report said, federal wind power capacity grew by more than 7,000 megawatts in 2017 and said that that increase was largely driven by the looming phase-down of the production tax credit. In other words, developers are launching projects to maximize the percentage credit they'll get. The report predicted that annual wind power will continue to grow at a rapid clip for the next several years before the rate begins to decline. This is due to the progressive reduction in the production tax credit under current tax law. I've included a link to that report in today's show notes. The report is titled, The 2017 Wind Technologies Market Report. Well, that brings me to the end of this week's report. Be sure to register for our upcoming fall conferences. The next one, by the way, is the Novogratz 2018 Historic Tax Credit Conference in Nashville, Tennessee, September 27th and 28th. We're proud to say that Senator Bill Cassidy of Louisiana will be there in attendance to provide a keynote and share his insights on preserving historic tax credits and what he did during tax reform, as well as what the next months could hold for the historic tax credit. Please go to www.novaco.com slash events for more information and to register. And that's it for now. I do hope that you enjoyed this week's podcast. And if you did, please go on iTunes and give us a rating and review. Positive ratings and reviews help others find the podcast and help support our efforts here at Novogratic to share affordable housing, community development, historic preservation, and renewable energy news. I'm Michael Novogratic. Thanks for listening. This weekly podcast has been brought to you by Novogratic and Company, LLP. Archived podcasts are available online at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast or by subscribing to the Tax Credit Tuesday podcast in iTunes. 
You can find related links referenced in this podcast in our show notes at www.novaco.com forward slash podcast. Novograd and Company LLP is a national certified public accounting and consulting firm with offices nationwide. Learn more about our professional services at www.novaco.com.